my answer is to embed that kind of quarry or question of how we look, how we encounter work in the world, into the work. Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Gil Zambrano. Together, we speak to people from around the globe about their practice and passions in the fields of print media and multiples. Hello, Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products. In 1915, Ross F. George published the first edition of the Speedball textbook, which quickly became the superlative resource for artists and letterers of all ages and skill levels. This is a great resource for the gig poster gang or for folks who want to develop their own fonts and letter forms for the screen or relief printed work. In celebration of the 105th year anniversary of the edition's debut, the 25th edition of the Speedball textbook has a convenient lay-flat construction and 120 pages of examples, contributors' work, and innovative technical insights that is sure to inspire and appeal to scribes across the spectrum of skill and experience. There's a link in the show notes. My guests this week are Paula Wilson and Tyler Emerson Dorsch. This is a special episode recorded on-site at Paula's exhibition, which took place during Art Week in Miami last year. In a Hello Print Friend first, I'm chatting with both the artist and the curator. We talk about how they met and formed the artist-gallerist relationship, how the move to a rural city in New Mexico changed Paula's practice, the erotic in nature, and the deeply layered historical references in her exhibition, Be Wild, Bewilder. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to get back to nature with Paula Wilson and Tyler Emerson Dorsch. Hi, Paula. Hi, Tyler. How's it going? It's going so good. It's great to be with you. I know. I was so happy when I got an email from Tyler saying that Paula was going to be in Miami and having a show here. And then I was like, well, I'm going to be in Miami. And even though we both live in New Mexico, we've got to connect in this beautiful city, in this beautiful gallery. So it's been great. Excellent. So this is a Hello Print friend first, and I'm really excited for it in the sense that we have an artist and the curator together, side by side, in the gallery space, more or less in the exhibition to talk about it. And so I'm really hoping we can get into, of course, Paula's process a little bit, but then, of course, Tyler, sort of your vision, how you fit into it and as I know we were talking about when we were getting coffee, it's different for every artist and every curator, but I'd love to hear your process. But before we get into that, I always ask each of my guests to say who you are, where you are, what you do. I'm Paula Wilson. I'm, I call myself a visual artist in part because I work across so many different genres and mediums, although I will say that my love and entry point into art making was through printmaking. Mm. And I'm based in a town called Carrizozo, New Mexico, which is in the south central part of the state. It's population 942 people as our last census. And it's a wonderful place to exist and to make art. Beautiful, Tyler? I'm Tyler Emerson Dorsch. I am a partner at Emerson Dorsch Gallery. I 
work with Brooke Dorsch, who founded the gallery, and Yvette Yanez del Castillo. Together, the three of us run this amazing place, which is almost everything to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this gallery really feels like a family. There's there's something pretty special and unique in this in this space and what happens here. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, can you two tell me the story of how you ended up connecting and when did that happen and how long you've had this collaborative relationship? I did a residency called Cannonball Miami, which doesn't exist anymore, but I think that was in 2014 or maybe 13. And we met then. We had kind of a, do you remember this? A long conversation. It was long. I was at least an hour in your studio. I can remember you walking in, you were wearing this beautiful long skirt and then it was immediately like we just got so into the work and it was it was amazing and i think <laughs> were you making the piece okay what year was the piece that you that's in the tang collection mm. there was another piece that you were making that was that i that's still in your studio with the sunflowers i think right yeah. right yeah i mean there was yeah these things that are work i mean mm-hmm. or <laughs> and she also while she was in that studio that that residency. She made this amazing video performance called Salty Fresh. And that ended up being the title of her first show with us in 2017. So it was it's a great video. And it was filmed here in Miami on Virginia Key. So it's it's a good video on many levels. And then we yeah, we had that studio visit, but then you didn't invite me to do a show until yeah, yeah. I told her I told her I told her that I needed to be able to talk about your work in a Mm. way that I felt was responsible and respectful and coming from a full authentic place of knowledge and heart. Wow. Mm. That's really kind of amazing to hear. I feel like I've been in the gallery world for ten plus years. I've been involved in some galleries and and experienced galleries on the periphery a lot and that idea that a curator and a gallery partner would say I need to be really responsible about this work is pretty beautiful because I've met a lot of people in the art world who's just like oh I can sell this how many pieces can you send me right now and like that's the attitude and so I love to hear that you're like I like this and I want to engage with it from the heart is really beautiful yeah, I feel I like think she was some... like, what's taking you so long? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, that was my reason. Yeah, I think some mm-hmm. gallerists see dollar signs where you could kind of see it in their eyes when they walk in and, and Tyler sees books and research and mm. connectivities to other artists and other thinkers and cultures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I feel like fits in really well to your practice which I see aesthetically and conceptually also has these research elements, also has these callbacks to art history. I see some pieces that look like Roman mosaics in this exhibition. I've seen things that look a bit like Grecian vases and past work that you've done. So maybe this would be a good point then to talk kind of directly about this exhibition. And from your point of view where does the work come from? And then we can kind of talk about how Tyler's vision fits into it. So a lot of the work, I mean, this show Tyler curated from 
I think the oldest work is like 12 years old. So it, it spans it spans time and, and space in a way, like you're saying. And I feel like there's one, one theme that stands out to me is this idea of fragmentation and regeneration, which is literally visible in the work, but is also elemental to my practice and how I create the works. And so when you're sort of asking about some of the, the research or some of the themes, they almost come up in, a, in an excavated kind of way, almost as that's if I'm an archaeologist yeah, in, the, in the studio. Yeah, because that's indeed part of the, the, several of the works in the show have that as almost a subject matter or, or a reference or an evocation, certainly. So the one that's first for me is, is, so the first work in the show literally is this piece called Grassa Rubbing from 2009. Am I getting that mm-hmm. right? Um, it was done while Paula was in residence at Yale University as, a, as an artist, and she had access to the collection, which is just amazing. And in this collection, they have a very, very old floor mosaic from Jordan, from that's why it's called Garasa rubbing. That's the area in Jordan where it's from, from the first to seventh century AD. And you were able to make a rubbing of it. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Which is printmaking. Of it's course. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, yes. I think one of probably the earliest forms of printmaking. <laughs> I don't know as much about printmaking as both of you. I come at it as just sort of a very enthusiastic learner. But I, I like that it's sort of the first piece in the show. It's like this first kind of, of engagement with creating multiples. I think that's really powerful. And then while she was at Yale, she met this really important person. Fred Lamp, who Frederick yeah. Lamp, who studies is an African art scholar, and introduced me to the dimba, which is a, a West African headdress that I had been using in my work because I had kind of been drawn, almost like bewitched by this entity, and then he had done this wealth of information about it that almost reconstituted my interest and built upon that. So there was this almost dual research at, the t- at my time at Yale, which was partially with this rubbing and then also with this West African headdress from the Baga people. So that Dimba headdress figure, a bust of it in, in ritual use in West Africa, it's, it's used with four posts on either side, and the wearer, who is always a young male, puts it over his head and, and on his shoulders. And there's a raffia skirt and a black shawl that goes around it as mm. they're wearing it in ceremony. And its appearance in, the, in a ceremony is usually to symbolize the ideal feminine in the Baca culture, which, as I'm sure you have seen in, in Paulo's work, there's so much of a... The powerful feminine is a really mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. pillar in her practice. And so the, there's, a, there's a harmony between the Dimba and her practice in that way. But the Dimba, in the Baca, for the Baca people, is a woman who's raised 
children to adulthood. So her breasts are sort of pendant Mm -hmm. and she wears a, a hairstyle that's in cornrows and it's very stylized on the mask. And the way that the braids are demarcated is similar to how the Baca plant their crops. So that idea of planting of of creating a fruitful harvest is also analogous to art making as much as it is to mm-hmm. say fertility in a woman. There's there's a number of ways to make wealth in the world mm-hmm. in that way. And I think it's really beautiful that you bring that out in your practice. Mm-hmm. And the other part, sorry, I'm really, really <laughs> dirty about this. I was telling Juan about this in the car, is that the the process of planting she shows up at planting and at harvest and in planting of course you're planting seeds and then the fragmentation that appears throughout the exhibition are these fragments in Paula's work that are pieces of other prints that she's made that she brings back forward into new pieces and nothing is ever wasted and so both the process of printmaking which is making multiples and which is making wealth which is incredibly productive but also the fragments are seeds yeah it's perfect really <laughs> it's, really it's so amazing so the demo is in two pieces in this show it has appeared in other pieces throughout her practice but in this show it's an i am painting it's represented as two different dimba heads, but they're not in ri- they're not represented as they are in ritual. They're represented as they would be in a Western textbook, oh, and uh-huh. they're sort of separated or alienated from their original purpose. And then the other part is in elders, where it's on a pedestal, a, a plinth that would be in the middle of a city square, which. As we saw during during 2020, during the protests, a lot of people were knocking over old sculptures. We were tired of seeing. And I think Paula put it one she'd like to see. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. And so for, for Paula, I'm always am curious with my artist guests, what's their first introduction to printmaking? Because I feel like given what Tyler was just speaking of, of these themes of sort of fertility, multiplicity, feminine, divine creation, all of that is inherent for me in some of what print is. So where did it start for you? Well, I did do, I remember the first print I made in sixth grade, like in art class, the the, the school had had a, had a press, but I went to Interlochen, which is an art camp in Michigan, when I, and I wanted to go for acting, but all the acting classes were full, uh-huh. and my mom was like, why don't you do art? You love, and as moms are, they tend to know more about us than we do, and <laughs> the print studio, I just gravitated so much to it, and I loved the, the fact that, it's a, that there's a community built around the press, and so that that's that's really where it took hold and never never looked back from there beautiful looking back do you think that there was something in young paula that was again a seed maybe even in the sixth grade of these themes that now are coming out as as a 
fully cooked artist in in her prime. Definitely. I mean, it's shocking to me some of the the prints that I did like in high school at this camp are still resonant to me. I mean, they they felt they they felt really fully formed. I did these series of linoleum cuts about these different kind of aspects of a tree so the bark and the roots and the branch and made a book out of that so I definitely feel like there's it's it's still there I'm dyslexic and so I I feel like there might be something in the way that my brain works that is actually natural to printmaking for some artists Mm -hmm. to try to figure out how to do a reduction printer, obviously that kind of flippage that happens, the reversal. To me, that always felt really like at home. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And you had said in a recent interview, when you were talking about your experience of of moving to New Mexico, I think you were talking to Balm Magazine, that it was an opportunity for you to connect with your own erotic self, that side. And I feel like that there's definitely something in the imagery. I mean, of course, you have your beautiful moon butt that appears, (laughs) which is playful, but, you know, also sexy. And I'd be really curious to know how that move maybe did inspire that in you and then how it started to show up in the work and some of these images of the fertility and the fecundity that we see in this show. Yeah. I mean, I immediately think when you talk about sense, something being sensual with my, my partner, Mike Lag, who I often collaborate with and the building of a kind of life that can be sensual and erotic and artistic, I definitely take my hat or clothes off to, to, <laughs> to him. And I'm, I'm constantly interested in how, how to make something have that sensuality and eroticism, but that doesn't feel pornographic or mm. exploitative or voyeuristic even. And oftentimes that means looking to nature because nature is hypersexual and mm. yet it feels PG-13. And so moving to the desert, having access to the natural world in a way that I didn't in cities is also feels bedfellows to that kind of coming to fruition in my work. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is so insightful and powerful what you're saying about how nature gives this out kind of where parents who would never let their kids watch Eyes Wide Shut, they can watch David Attenborough all day long. Right. You yes, know? Yes. Exactly. Um, Sometimes I'd be like, hey, wait. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's such a, a admirable and complex task to take on the showing of the female body in a way that's not going to just fold right back into objectification and, as you say, that kind of pornographic and that pornographic view and, of course, bodies, and I think particularly, like, female brown bodies. I mean, you literally see them used as decorations on ashtrays. You know, I mean, it's this incredible pernicious thread that goes through the way we consume And through our history. And through our history. Yes, yes. Yes. (laughs) And so... I don't even have a question other than just like, that's amazing. And I see that you're doing it successfully. (laughs) Mm, That's nice to hear. I mean, one of the first pieces that 
was curated in this show, Sunrise, Sunset, that Tyler also curated, has this sunflower and this figure who's holding a cell phone. And in the video is this head of a sunflower that I'm kind of massaging some of the petals and some of the kind of inner workings of a flower in a very, Mm -hmm. yeah, almost like female masturbation Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. like And a young girl is looking at it. You see the back of her head. That's part of the piece. The back of this young girl's head is looking in into the video which is is it in the center of the sunflower mm-hmm. yes and and so it's a moment where she herself I, th- I think is coming to be like oh you know yeah. that operception ah, yes and my girls now are about that age we're uh-huh. like oh oh <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> yes yes <laughs> and there's power in that I like so, that you bring it back to the yeah. the mind, right? You mm-hmm. know, sort of, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and I think in your essay, Tyler, mm-hmm. about this, mm-hmm. you actually speak to a pivotal body of work that was influential to mm-hmm. Paula. Maybe you could, like, I feel like this is a, a natural transition into that and, mm-hmm. and how it informs this exhibition and probably your curation of it as well, I would guess. Yeah. Well, I've been following Paula's work ever since we had that first conversation. So I I have in the past, like I, I visited I, to her show at Smackmillan, which had these very tall female figures. And they have as, as sort of their center, like where the female reproductive system would be, there are different aspects of the yucca flower. And the, the yucca flower and its relationship with a moth has has a thread throughout her show where the moth propagates helps to fertilize the yucca and it also reproduces with the yucca Mm. they have a symbiotic relationship and two species of that single moth can only reproduce with the yucca like it's 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 a mutually exclusive relationship mm-hmm. they're monogamous <laughs> <laughs> no polyamory there so part of that show it wasn't just these massive female figures which i'm enamored by because they remind me of the caryatids in greek architecture where mm. the women are literally holding up the building and that's how they kind of operate in the space they were literally floor to ceiling in a space that is two stories tall they were really very very powerful and monumental and and then part of that show was that she created a video where she went went with friends that came to visit her art residency in Carrizozo where they were pollinating I think they were like sort of acting like the moths and then towards the end she has this amazing sort of costume that she and Mike designed together she prints the wings and he makes the wooden hoops that make the wings and then she becomes the moth and they have this moment in the video where they're pollinating. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mike's a flower and does a head a headstand and uh, yeah, the rest you'll have to, have to tune in. Experience in person, but so the yucca has a has a motif throughout the show in various ways. And then also being a naturalist is throughout the show mm. in different ways. So I was I was already attuned to that and then with the show just sort of because of the work that I was able to put together, I 
came at her work from a different angle, which was, I, I think, really positive. Part of the nature of our space is that we have 12 foot ceilings and doing a floor to ceiling piece is a little bit more challenging. It's nicer to have 20 foot ceilings. I wish I could have them, but I can't. And because we're a commercial art gallery, I wanted to have pieces that were a little bit more standalone uh, that we could show. So those were just some practical considerations to the work that I started to gravitate toward. But then the work that Paula was doing most recently had to do with this fragmentation theme. And so the it, like the groupings, the things that started, I, I was trying to map out what the connections could be. So this, this exhibition has three rooms and I wanted to think about it as a whole. Mm-hmm. And, and so the first piece I think we chose, we, we knew we wanted to do Strata 3, which is a collage of different fragments from Paula's others prints so it's like it has this multiplicity that sort of accumulates almost like shells at the bottom of the sea and and then I knew that elders was going to be in the show and I am painting Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then so then it was just a matter of trying to map out what are the connections in space Mm. that that we could make a show feel always the goal is to have the show feel more than the sum of its parts Mm -hmm. Uh, for it to be an environment in which people can have a sense of discovery about the practice and make connections. So there, there are truly connections between Agora, and which is a collage made up of, again, different fragments from Paula's prints and paintings. And it's called Agora, which is a Greek word for public. And in the other room, it looks like a Greek square and there are Greek ruins. So it's amazing, but it also looks like an African square. Mm. So Paula's ability to bring together so many disparate, like sort of reference points and create sort of a vision of her own, something that's hybrid, I find really exciting and really the vision of the future. That's where we need to be. We need to be in multiplicity. We don't need to be in like these little silos. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so in any case, Agora has a fragment in it of this black, these black dots on a yellow background, and the same fabric shows up in Strata 3. Ah, yes, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in Agora, it's really dominant, and when I first saw it, I was like, oh, it's cheetah, because it's Africa. I fall in, curators make assumptions too. Uh, when, you look, when you look closely, it's not a cheetah. It's not any one thing. It's it's an abstract design that is pretty free form. It's not a regular sort of spiral. It's definitely not com- computer generated. You can tell that it's handmade, but it's nothing specific. It won't be pinned down. And I think that that it can be true of really all the work in general, but that is to say that those connections that you're able to find is, I find extremely pleasurable and it's still happening for me as I go through the show mm. and through the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I was trying to find some kind of a coherent, intelligent, wonderfully brilliant question to ask along these lines, <laughs> which I didn't actually quite get. So now we get to discover real time what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. You know, was the fact that in, in, in Paula, in your, in your work, you do find 
all of these connections that Tyler's speaking to, and you see it across continents, across time. You've got sort of Grecian square imagery next to a screen that's embedded within a piece, this hybrid new technology. And I can think that mindset or that aesthetic or that method in the hands of another artist could feel sloppy. You know, it could feel like, I don't, this is, so wait, everything is everything, you know, Mm. so everything is nothing. And yet it manages to feel so abundant and yet so precise at the same time. Mm. And it's really, there's a there there that seems so ephemeral and hard for me to put my finger on. And what's it? How I, how do you do it? Maybe that's my question. Oh, right. <laughs> um, oh no, I just so appreciate that. Thank you for kind of that way of looking at the work. I mean, I sometimes I feel like I'm. I mean, I remember when I was starting out as an early artist, I'd had dealers who would say like that the work had too many different was was sort of changing too rapidly, mm. um, and and. I'm I'm biracial and I don't know if there's something kind of about this ability not to to try to kind of have a a singular identity that that comes into being able to kind of like draw and then and then I do kind of feel like there's a it, there's a printmaking aspect to that mm. and and to the process of of collage and the and the way that in printmaking let's say in contrast to painting like the mark that you make might be the opposite of the mark that ends up mm-hmm. taking form in the work. And so this, this sort of there, there, like that, 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 that's, that that's undulating and shifting all the time is something that is, I, I almost need in the work in order to kind of feel like it, it feels right to me. But also in order to make the scale of pieces that you make, it's necessary for you to combine a lot of different prints and a lot of mm-hmm. different pieces because there's just a natural limitation to the size of the press. Right. Yeah. I, I yeah, I definitely, I mean, you know, there, that it, it's a, it's on the one hand, you can view it as a limitation, but you've embraced it to a great deal where new pieces arise from, from the old effortlessly. Like I watched you make that piece this we're looking at a piece in the office that was a different piece and we're like oh that's a little bit wrong so we're gonna make a new one <laughs> against another another print that i already have i think one la- one other thing that i'd love to talk about which is about the fragments is your and it has to do with the prints is the prints that you made that are in the array in the front mm-hmm. of the gallery which were made when you were cleaning the press so my colleague, Ibet Yanez de Castillo, used to work for the De La Cruz collection, and there they have this amazing wall mm. of Wade Goyton prints, their digital prints, where he takes advantage of the slippage of a digital printer mm-hmm. and in the pieces. And when I first saw those, these are mono prints, I was like, these are amazing. Because there's this combination of chance and and being relaxed and allowing yourself just to do this side project that that it, it has a function she's cleaning the prints but she's saving it because she saves everything and then they come together to make these beautiful chance experiments they're That's really right. really lovely they have they they 
They have the positive and the negative because they, so a lot of times because she's cleaning the press onto the paper, she has like this, I don't know what it's called when it's like the overage when the matrix is over. So some of them have like a shading of around where the matrix was and that appears in her work too. And that like being able to look at those, these, these, these pieces in this grid allows me to see some of what's happening in like strata three and in what's happening in gather gathering where where so in gathering there's a woman looking over a sheet that's covered in in different different rocks and specimens that she's cataloging with her phone and and so we as a viewer look at it like what's going on and she almost looks like an archaeologist so when paula said in the beginning that She's, she's excavating different things from her practice that I was like, yes, that's exactly what's happening in gathering. And, <laughs> and then it allowed me to see that the different fragments that are on top of the sheet that the figure in the painting are, is trying to classify, we have to try and classify too. It's not just the figure. If you start thinking about each of those different pieces and where they come from from her practice some of them are representations of the natural environment some of them are sort of outsides of different different shapes that she's already used so they're the negative space around it <laughs> and and then some pieces are are the the positive space that she's cut out on purpose or printed on purpose mm. some are hand painted so it's such a it, it's such a a multiple perspectives laid out on the sheet. And then in the video that she's cataloged, she's in like that. This is one of the pieces where there's a video insert. And so it looks like you're looking at the character or the, the woman's phone. That's the subject. It looks like you're looking at it, but rather than seeing a photograph of the sheet below or a painting of a photograph of the sheet below, you're seeing a video of the sheet below but we're seeing, we know that we're not seeing something that the character would be filming because there's no, there's no, like there's not the box, the viewing box. And, and also what we see is, so the actual fabric collage that, that is a hallmark of these pieces in Paula's work that has the, the printed or the painted fabric scraps Paste on top, paste it on top of a background, and then so rather than just that, it's that, and and rather than a represented stone, it's a real stone. Rather than a represented moth, it's a real moth, and it's the kind of moth mm. that she refers to in the Smack Melon show. And there's there's feathers, and then in addition, there's these mirrors. So for the mirror in film and in photography, that's like the it's a reference to the earliest form of image making in that way and and what's reflected back up back at us isn't what you would expect it's actually paula <laughs> it's actually fragments of her body and and at one point she looks at you <laughs> like the odalise like i know you're looking and you know the way I generated that was like <laughs> was it was green actually screen? green screen, it right? Green and so, screen. It, but it like, reads yes. like mirror, but it's sort of in a, an, another impossible kind of mm -hmm. angle or something. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps going. Yeah. So, like, Tyler, it's I. I just I really wish that 
this was a, a video format because it's just so delightful just to see your face when you talk about Paula's work. Like you're so you're so engaged and you're so so clearly passionate about it. And I guess I'm really curious to know, and this is a question that maybe I get maybe more than anything else from artists, which is sort of related to the how do you get a gallery question? Which is, of course, I'm sure, as as two professional women in the sphere comes a lot, as we know. But maybe, I think, particularly seeing in real time, you know, how much care and passion you have for Paula's practice, maybe in a way of answering that, say, what was it about her practice that you were like, I know this can be a deeper relationship. Like, mm-hmm. I know this is someone that I want to work alongside in the creative path number of different things it's first and foremost I I looked at the work and I immediately saw so many art historical references and I did my undergraduate degree in art history and I really enjoy those references, but I also really appreciated the fact that Paula was making those references from a point of view that was really different than my own, but also from how art history was taught to me. Because the way art history was taught, as we are learning now, had a lot of blind spots. So I really enjoyed how Paula was sort of remaking art history or or filling in art history or just making her own because we're all just writing it as we go along Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we might as well write it the right way (laughs) I I was really attracted to that so first and foremost it's this this recognition that there's a sense of discovery that I could just dig in really deep and 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 have a wonderful time. But the next part was Paula's really generous with herself and her vision and very patient with questions that sometimes are awkward and other times just telling her story. And, and when you are at a residency, for instance, you have to tell your story a lot. You have to tell it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And being present in those moments has to be hard sometimes it's like a musician having to sing the same song over and over again (laughs) but um she was really present and generous in the moment and I'm really grateful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like hearing that Mm -hmm. and so maybe you can hear the the sort of the the other side of it too you know and Paula is an artist who's out there in the world living that I think very I don't want to call it traditional, but like living that kind of path that's set forth for visual artists, which is that you find some good galleries or you make work, you get to have this holistic practice where you get to put some of that communication and some of that placement in institutions that gets to be relieved from you because of the relationship that you have with your gallerist. When you're in that process of looking for someone who's going to in many ways, be the public face of your work. You know, you're, you're here for this week, this opening, but after that, it gets, it gets turned over to, to Tyler and her team. <laughs> what do you look for in mm. someone who's going to have that relationship with you and your work? Well, early on, like when I graduated undergrad, I did a lot of public art because I had no access to 
galleries. Like I, that question of how you find a gallery, I would have no idea what the answer would be. And as a printmaker, that's what I did. I would we paste posters around Chicago. You know, I didn't wait for opportunities to get my art out there. Like I feel like that's that's kind of an important step to like show with your friends, do pop up gallery shows. Mm-hmm. You know, just don't feel like the gatekeepers are going to keep you out of sharing mm. your work with the world. And then I had, I signed with this gallery, Bellwether in New York, and she, we had a show, um, almost all the work sold, and I never got paid by her. And yeah. after that experience, for me, what was the most important thing was the, the kind of integrity of the people that I work with. They, they might not be the hippest galleries, but if they are good people and Mm -hmm. their hearts are in the right place. And Emerson Dorsch Gallery is 100% that. And then then I'm excited to to be in those spaces. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry that happened. Mm -hmm. That's really, really rough. And I think- I think I might've seen that show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's and you right. saw all those red dots, and you're like, "Thank goodness, this talented young artist is going to get a nice really paycheck." Yeah. <laughs> that was that was in my my baby days, yeah. my baby curator days, is what I call them. <laughs> Just starting out. <laughs> so I had a question that I thought might be kind of fun for both of you to answer from your own perspective particularly given the nature of Paula's practice and the nature of curation, Mm. which was just this general, how do you know when things are supposed to go together? Mm. You know, so like as curating a show and then as someone who has so much assemblage as part of what she does, like how do you know when these two pieces or this old scrap of print, this is supposed to be together? Yeah, it's easy for me to answer that because I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think I can echo that. I mean, you just try it and... It'll feel, it'll feel like it, it's right. It'll just tell you. Mm, so you, you sort of see it first and then let the, it, your body kind I of have answer? Sort of. It's a whole, yeah, it's in your whole self. I mean, I remember you did these mock-ups that mm-hmm. felt so helpful of the space and mm-hmm. you felt really, it felt like you knew the program and were able to move things and scale things around. That, that felt really helpful. Yes, I've developed a a very low-tech kind of a way of being able to model this space since it's my own space. I know how to draw it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's what I do because I'm often curating when I'm not here. So I've had to figure out ways to model different combinations of work, different juxtapositions, and to see how they work sort of in the sketch uh, rather than having to like sort of say oh let's bring it all in and curate it two days before yes yes so that didn't happen this show was curated almost entirely six months ago and and then we we did make some tweaks in in the space once Paula got here mostly (laughs) right I mean Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be clear that Tyler came out to Carrizozo and spent 10 days with the work oftentimes just alone in the studio and so I feel like that and that just feels so rare but that that kind of process is what I mean this show to me is I'm kind of learning stuff about myself and my and my practice just I would not have been able to 
curate this. This is this is definitely a vision that takes takes the skill of somebody who who has that that knowledge and it shows. Mm, it's nice to hear. It makes me wonder a little bit kind of sort of about the nature of curation and the nature of being an artist who has an input and 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 how it gets displayed. And this interesting kind of balance between immediacy and intimacy, because both of you know this work. You know, I love that you went and spent 10 days just communing with it in the desert. I think this, as, <laughs> as Paula said, that's very rare and beautiful and I think really speaks to the, the impact that the show has. But for the people who are coming in, they're going to experience on a level of immediacy, not the intimacy. Mm-hmm. And so does that change the way you want the work to be seen in the way that you show the work? Understand this, like, well, I understand it because of this. Or do you think that there's something about good curation that the intimacy sort of transcends and hits people in the immediacy, even if they don't know it, even mm. if they're not spending 10 days with it? Uh, oh, gosh. I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> I think that the rhythm of the space you walk in and, and the pieces have a lot of space between them. And there's also a sense of discovery. We were able to, I was able to, so Paula has a two-sided piece in the show called I Am Painting. And I saw it in the space. And it's very much like a tunic she had made for this piece called Living Monument, which was on view at Locust Projects a year ago. And in that piece, she was dancing on a plinth after, was it a Confederate sculpture had been knocked over? Right, right. Mm-hmm. And well, had been removed by the city of New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. So that piece, that piece was made in 2018. Right. It was before, it was before 2020. So it was really pressing it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that, yeah, that question, I would say that that we with this show and me with my work in general like to reward good viewership. Mm. And oh, so if you, if you're here for it, we're here for it. If you're not, that's <laughs> fine too, you know? I mean, and I don't know if, if these things seep in. I mean, I think that we know from advertising that just the, the slightest, you see one uh, something so briefly and it can actually imprint. So I do think as humans, we, we have the capacity to everything that we see, somehow we process through. But that someone might take the time and have that intimacy it's it's that we're we're open to join you if you if you bring that kind of attention. Mm. I, I think the work does re- it rewards looking again. Mm-hmm. It, it's 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 work that can't be taken in in a single viewing, and I think that that's what for me is very rewarding, very enriching. I I I I would like to live with an artwork that gives me something new as many times as I look at it. Mm-hmm. But also about the piece I am painting is it's, we were able to rotate it. It's Mike and Paula were able to set up a mechanism that very subtly lets it spin in the space. And on one side is a mooning motif that's Paula's signature motif. And on the other side is a still life with an open book on the table with the Dimba figures. 
And so it's spinning around at a relatively rapid pace. You you have to really look at it mm-hmm. to, to get all of the I details. I found myself chasing it. And then if you are, a- are able to just make it around the corner and you want to engage in the office on above the flat file in the office area is this great video that Paula made where she's wearing that same tunic and, and engaging with it in a way that is again, generous in that she gives us a glimpse into her, her sort of milieu and, and carries Ozo into her studio and her, her, the natural setting and Mike, her partner and how he contributes to the work. So I, I, that's one way that I feel like that's a great way to engage with the work from the get-go. I, I mean, like there's that, lots yeah. of places, but the, that's really dynamic. One thing I'll just add is that as mm-hmm. you travel through the space that there's, that you built these walls, and so you, you sort of have to navigate into this other room, and so there's this almost bodily re like you reemerge you know you you mm-hmm. can't just take the whole show in in one one breath that there is a kind of traveling that happens in the looking that could potentially add to that for immediacy turning into more intimacy mm, yeah i think i i definitely noticed that in the way that i experienced it is that the way the walls are set up you're like force sounds so <laughs> violent, but guided. you're guided. Thank you, Tyler. This is why we need good curators and good writers. You're, you're guided to re-experience the work and from different angles and after having just taken in other work. And so, yeah, there is that sort of you are invited to re-engage with what you've just seen given what you've just seen mm-hmm. and sort of come to understand it more and... I definitely agree that I think it's very apt to say that it is work that can't be understood in a single viewing or taken in totally in a single viewing. And, and that personally too, that's my favorite kind of art to have in my home because you want something that's going to continue to reward this relationship that you're putting towards it by putting it in your own space. And it makes me wonder what is it like making work and showing work and placing work with collectors that doesn't give all up all its secrets in a single viewing in the age of Instagram, <laughs> which so rewards? What is it like two two point five seconds or something of like when you actually just look at the image and it's it's just and that's it and yet you have these just novels these these, these of, <laughs> of, of of visual language you I know? know it's like that's why I really appreciate the carousel right you know yes. <laughs> and as another detail and another detail mm-hmm. and let's keep it going 10 is not enough but we'll, we'll we'll make it happen yeah yeah I mean I feel like there's it's really almost the question I think is, is really fitting and it's I feel that it's in some ways addressed in the work like we were talking about this piece gathering where there's actually a screen embedded mm-hmm. into the painting and then in the in the video in the back room that there's this moment where I'm almost becoming this painting on a wall and and the way that that's viewed and in another piece that Tyler was talking about salty and fresh there's this real moment where all these picnickers hold up their phones to video the, the, the scene taking place and an, an acknowledgement and awareness that that is such the way we, we see the world. So it's almost as if my answer is to embed 
that kind of quarry or question of how we look, how we encounter work in the world into the work. Uh-huh. It, it is in the work and it's, it's sometimes it's sometimes it's empowering or very positive. Like for instance, in gathering again, the, the woman is, is using it as part of her work. She's, she's bent down and you only see the top of her head. You, so as your subject, like when some of Paula's figures don't, reveal themselves as uh, they can't be objectified because we are seeing them at work like mm. or in the process of thinking or in the process of reading and and they're bent down and they they don't give themselves to us so the phone in that piece is part of her process that's part of her work and those are the those are the pieces where it's productive the the other and and then in sunflower it's part of it's part of the process of discovery it's part it's the reason why this girl is learning this amazing new thing really amazing (laughs) (laughs) um, but then in other pieces it's very clear that the the character the woman holding the phone is so absorbed in the phone that she's not seeing the world so there's critique sometimes too. Absolutely, yes, yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's two sided for mm-hmm. multiple multiple per- perspectives as always. Yes. Multiple yeah. Perspectives. I think in the in the time we had left, I'd love to hear you both speak to sort of the role curation plays in an artist's practice. Mm-hmm. You see, it is collaborative is it it has a very specific place I think in kind of the life cycle of a work of art Mm. sort of from production to how it's received to maybe finding a home with a collector or an institution and sort of maybe from both of your different perspectives so it's sort of the maker and then as the person who is doing the curation in this whole ecosystem that is the art world and is a work of art in its life cycle. I love, this is more like nature metaphors, right? You know, yeah, bring it. Where's, where's the curation? Is, is that the mm. blooming? Is that the, you know, mm. is that the butterfly? <laughs> right, right. I mean, I live in, I mean, Carrizoza is so hard to get to, right? So yeah, I don't really know. I don't really know how to answer this question. Mm. I feel like I make the work and then it gets curated almost, you know? Yeah. yeah. Paula is working every day. She mm-hmm. has a very intense studio practice. You wake up with the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're in the studio every day. It's part of their life. Creating is part of who she is. She doesn't need me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's very much who she is. I think where it's useful, and I think this is similar for a writer, is having an editor, mm-hmm. somebody that's a little bit from the outside but understands the work can help be a mirror and and help as the work in different ways that an artist or any creator can't see by themselves mm-hmm. like it's all already there yeah it's just that you you can't you can't see the forest for the trees sometimes right I, I think that's right I think that I I'm excited to be at the stage in my career where I am interacting with more museums and having curation be something that I'm learning about and learning about the interpersonal relationships, right? That Mm -hmm. it's not just about picking work and hanging it just so. And I I appreciate you asking about how 
the life of, of then beyond the gallery and the, and the collector, because that, that there are works in this show that are going on from here to be shown in museum shows, like very soon after this show. So right. And I, it yeah. won't just be the story that's told here. There'll be, mm-hmm. well, there will be multiple sort of perspectives layered on to this work as it goes through. And, and so I, I yeah, awesome. I feel like that, at the core of curation is mm-hmm. relationships between people and understanding, right? And when we're talking about finding a gallery or these sort of questions, that it's it's so much about relationships. And sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like that that kind of gets 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 overlooked. So Paula, because this is a printmaking podcast, I feel like one of the things we haven't quite hit the nail on the head of as of yet is the way in which printmaking folds into your practice. Because I've seen that you do do some, that kind of traditional editioning. I have seen works from you with one of 10 on them. But for the most part, it's in there with the assemblage. It's in there with everything else. And from your point of view, with everything that you do, like video and performance and everything, where is printmaking in that practice for you? Oh, printmaking is the heart of it all. <laughs> it's like the base la- I mean, it's sort of, it's almost always the base layer of my work in some ways. But one thing that I feel excited about in this show is that sometimes there's even, I'm printing off of paintings. So I'll, I'll gather these scraps like we're talking about, and then I'll roll out a piece of ink on a piece of plexiglass I'll put down the substrate, which is almost always muslin that I'm printing on, and then I'll put these scrap pieces on top of the muslin, run it through the press, and just that pressure of the scrap will leave an impression, and then that becomes like the shadow of these scrap pieces. And so this almost, even though I do plenty of painting as well, sometimes I'll actually print the painting. So this kind of back and forth is something that I love to do in in printmaking. Mm -hmm. I mean, almost to hear you talk about it, it almost sounds like your press is like a collaborator. Oh, yeah, I like that. I like that because it's, I mean, you were saying, Tyler, about curators being mirrors, and I feel like I love that about printmaking, that there's this liminal space of unknowing when you when you run something through mm. the press and then and then the reveal moment, and that, that that does feel like a kind of conversation or you're able to see yourself anew in, in those moments. Mm. Did you two listen to Jennifer Roberts' lecture series? Oh yes, yes, that's yeah. the, the Carnegie yeah. lectures oh from twenty twenty. Pressure. What? Yeah. I haven't yeah. listened to it, but it's oh my god, god, so amazing. What you were saying about the moment of creation being hidden? She speaks mm-hmm. to it really beautifully in those, and how it's really an unusual medium in that way. And I again, I think that there's that through line of of creation both within a human body and within the earth you know that always happens without view it has to be underground or inside you know and so there's an interesting very true yeah but it's like the actual Mm -hmm. magic moment of something coming into existence that didn't exist before it has to be unseen you brought us full circle Can I read a quote? Yes. So the title of this exhibition came from a poem by Carl Phillips. Yes. Called Ghost Choir. So Ghost Choir, to 
to me speaks to Agora, which is public. And I like to think that Paula's calling out her own choir, mm-hmm. her own public. Same with Carl Phillips in this poem. And he references Marcus Aurelius, who is was a general and emperor and a philosopher. And he wrote these meditations where he called out his own choir. He wrote short little entries on people that had inspired him and who he considered his teachers and what they had taught him. So, okay, this poem starts out, what injures the hive injures the bee, says Marcus Aurelius, period. I say, not wanting to hurt another this late should maybe be more than, should more, maybe more than count still as a form of love. Be wild, bewilder. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like we've really just scratched the surface because there is so much to your practice, Paula. And thank you so much, Tyler, for, for reaching out and engaging with it in such a thoughtful way that we could have this conversation. This was really a treat. And I hope just the beginning of more collaboration, communication, knowing each other, because yes. this was really a so, treat. Yeah, so, it was great. Back in New Mexico. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And so before we hit the old red stop button, Paula and Tyler, please tell people where they can find you and where they can find Emerson Dorsch. So my website's paulajwilson.com, and my Instagram is paulalights, L-I-G-H-T-S. And Emerson Dorsch Gallery is located in Miami. We're at 5900 Northwest 2nd Avenue as well. Gosh, look us up on Instagram under Emerson Dorsch. Beautiful. Well, thank you both so much. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you. If you like today's episode, we have a Patreon where you can help us keep the lights on and get bonus content. Like Shop Talk Shorts, where our editor, Timothy Pauschak, digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with past guests. Also, if monetary support isn't in the cards right now, you can leave a review for us on your podcast listening app of choice, or buy something from one of our sponsors and tell them Hello Print Friend sent you. But as always, the very, very best thing you can do to support this podcast is by listening and sharing with your fellow print friends around the world. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when we take on our first in a three-part series deep dive into the Institute for Electronic Arts at Alfred University. The Institute supports several residencies throughout the year in print media, as well as multimedia systems, experimental sonic sound video production, digital imaging, and publications. Which means, after five years, Hello Print Friend is finally going to talk about digital printmaking. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.